What is up, everybody? Welcome to Climb the Ladder for episode 175, presented by Watch Up Network. I'm your co-host, Hunter, and my good-looking twin brother, Duncan, is right here with me. We are excited to get into episode 175, and we are always brought to you by our sponsor, The Great PNW. Head on over to thegreatpnw.com and use code CLIMB20. That's CLIMB20 for 20% off your order. As always, let's climb the ladder. Well, Dunk, getting into this episode, a little weekend recording to uh, kick off some football action today in week, is this nine or ten of the NFL? Um, and uh, after an exciting college football Saturday and no more baseball other than some offseason transactions. Yeah, uh, week ten officially, so excited for Obviously, the Seahawks playing a little bit later today. Um, fantasy football is shaping up, so I feel like um, it's kind of the playoff push right now for fantasy football teams, and we can get into it here in a little bit, but I feel like there's really no strong front runner in the AFC or NFC this year, so I'm excited to look at some Week 10 matchups, and I think they called Week 9 separation Sunday, so I think we'll start to see kind of who's uh, – shaping up to make the playoffs yeah that's fair and we'll have a good fantasy feats and failures for you guys next week something to look forward to because uh duncan and i are facing each other in two different leagues this week so um maybe we'll split it maybe i'll just beat duncan in both and take care of business um but yeah that'll be a good segment for episode 176 next week um but yeah before we spend most episode outside the diamond, wanted to go through a few off-season transactions and free agents and stuff. Um, so the Mariners declined to renew Teoscar Hernandez's contract, and uh, also Tom Murphy are two notable ones. Who, I mean, looking at their salaries, like Tom Murphy is not asking a lot, and didn't and then Tay Oscar it's kind of a uh uh price tag on him but yeah I don't know we're uh we'll see what happens with those guys and what positions we can fill but talking with some friends talking around baseball like Mariners Twitter and stuff lately it's like man can't we take a note out of the Rangers book and spend some money we don't know where the Mariners front office is spending money. I feel like it's just got to be in the owner's pocket. Yeah. And one thing that I would think of when we're talking about free agents is I know DePoto came out and had that controversial statement. He's like, all we're asking is that fans wait a little bit. And it's like, uh, I don't know what 20 years of a playoff drought is to you, but I'd say that their patience has been there and has been exhausted. So, in my opinion, it seems like, okay, if you have players that are a good clubhouse fit, they're obviously good on the field, like Tay Oscar, like, I mean, Tom Murphy's kind of a good, you know, off-day person to come in and 
help out on the plate or in the field. But I would say if you have these people who are already part of your system, they get it, they're worth keeping. Like why, why not pay them the money? I know Teoscar is like a $20 million price tag, but I don't know why you would not pay them and keep them in Seattle rather than say, "Mm, we're not going to take you on that, you know, extra year option. And then now you probably have to go pay somebody more to come in and then get familiar with yourself. And I feel like that's kind of the spin cycle that the Mariners are in where they're not retaining the talent that they need. And then we're kind of starting over every three years rather than like really build those roots. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, we got to spend some money we got to see what's going to happen. Um, just looking through the list of top 10 free agents right now. Um, obviously Otani's at the top, which people think that he'll stay in California, angels, Dodgers, or giants. Um, we'll see what happens. I feel like nobody actually knows, like there's still talks of the Mariners. So who knows? Um, a lot of pitchers on this list. Blake Snell is on there. Um, who's been with the Padres, uh, Cody Bellinger, I could see potentially, um, I mean, he's center field and first base and depending what direction we go with Ty France. Um, and if maybe he just had a slump of a season and we let his back self-correct next year, um, that could be a solid signing. I don't know. He's 28 years old, still has some time left um national league mvp last year so that could happen um but like i said a few pitchers on the list like i said snell aaron nola is on there um you know he was there with the phillies he's 31 years old so um we'll see what his career in his 30s looks like but wouldn't be bad to grab an experienced arm and kind of a veteran presence um in our rotation and possibly, you know, in the bullpen as a whole. Um, so we'll see Jordan Montgomery, um, Sonny Gray, and J.D. Martinez all round out the list. Um, J.D. Martinez is an interesting one at 36 years old. Um, I mean, still slugging. And I don't know, could, could be a good fit. Um, he's been on the West Coast. So keep him over here. Maybe bring him to the Mariners, but um, so far none of these are screaming potential Mariners. Yeah, interesting long list of pitchers. I feel like a lot of times I'll look at one of those pitchers lists and maybe be familiar with half the names or something. But as you're reading those off, I'm like, yeah, those are all like viable starters that we could easily come in and have part of the starting five, like from opening day so that is interesting i love like a jordan montgomery a blake snell even the sunny gray like someone who we know has kind of that reputation for being one of the top three in the rotation they easily come in and make a difference i feel like we finally had established a good five but unfortunately it seemed like with some of the young talent in there and just a handful of injuries that we just couldn't find that consistency that we needed. So I would honestly love to see some money spent on like one big pitcher. Cause I think we've tried that with bats before, but not necessarily pitching in the past. Yeah, for sure. Well, 
like I said, um, we're going to spend most of this episode outside the diamond. Um, just, I mean, college football is really shaping up. We had um, a couple of top 10 matchups in college football yesterday. I'm not sure how much you got to watch, Dunk, but the Washington Huskies stayed undefeated and moved to 10-0 and um, with a big win at home against Utah. And then we had a, let's see, that was five versus 18 yesterday. And then let me double check who the three versus nine was. Um, but a couple teams. Yes, we had a top 10 with uh, Georgia and Ole Miss yesterday. I think that was oh, a yeah. 210 or maybe that was the three nine. So pretty crazy that we're at this point in the season with, uh, again, this is the final year of the four-team college football playoff. And right now we have five teams um, after week 10 that are undefeated. So um, the AP Top 25 as of November 12th, 2023, Georgia, followed by Michigan, followed by Ohio State, followed by Florida State, and rounding out the top five with Washington. Yeah, so it sounds like no movement this week after everybody remained undefeated yesterday. Um, I think the big one that everybody knows that you have to keep your eye on is those number two and three, Ohio State and Michigan, because I know that we had the same exact conversation last year across the sports world. These teams will play each other before the end of the season, but does it depend how bad one of them beats the other? Does because one of them's going to lose. One of them's going to have a loss. And you can't put a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan above an undefeated Washington. But I don't know. And is it strength of schedule? Because I know people want to see both of them in. Is it just, hey, until we're at 12 teams, there's no way Ohio State and Michigan can be in unless somebody else loses. So I feel like that conversation is just going to keep happening until either one of the other top five loses or one of them loses at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, Michigan, Ohio state classic end of the season, right around Thanksgiving, they'll be playing on November 25th. They could very well both go into that matchup uh, undefeated still with just one week separating us from that. Um, But to think of that, and also, I mean, yeah, Georgia's SEC, but to think of the lack of SEC um, in the top 10 overall, but in the in the chance of the college football playoff, it just seems like the script has flipped. Um, Alabama is number eight, soon to be SEC. Texas is number seven, Um, but just crazy to look at. And then. Yeah, Ole Miss is number 10. And I think these numbers will get updated again um, officially. But even with that loss, for example, Utah at 7-3, and three, they went into week 10, ranked number 18, and they're up to 13, um, which is crazy. But, again, a close loss against a really good Washington school. Um you never know. I would love to see UW in the playoff, especially with a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State, um, pending that Georgia, Florida State, and UW stay undefeated. Um, you know, Washington still has to get through the Apple Cup, and 
the Pac-12 championship. So then also, like you look at UW, for example, what if they can't hang on in the Pac-12 championship and they've been undefeated all season and this other Pac-12 school, whoever it is, has no shot? Do you keep them in? What's a one-loss UW versus a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan? Yeah, I think we both know the answer to that growing up on West Coast football. I think the second there's a one-loss UW, the Pac-12 has no representation, um, unfortunately, because I think that they would much rather see, I think the committee would rather see Ohio State and Michigan both in with the potential to play each other again for the national championship rather than UW, who has only made it once but has the one history of just getting blown out. Um, the one team that we haven't talked about is number four, Florida State. I would love if you wouldn't mind pulling up their schedule because they're not someone who's been relevant for a few years, and I feel like if there's any like big opponents coming up for them, that they could be a potential one or two loss by the end of the season. Yeah, they started off the season with a huge win over LSU um, and have just kept it rolling. Close one against Boston College, which makes you question a little bit. Like, hey, you only beat them by two points in week three. Um, but then a couple good statement wins. And then, um, yeah, yesterday they beat Miami and what ended up being close on the game-winning drive. But honestly, their schedule, next week they play North Alabama. And then uh, to end the season – they play against Florida. So, um, I mean, I could see them going undefeated. And then I don't know how strong of a presence they would have in the four-team college football playoff, but um, I think they'll be there. Yeah, they're one that I could totally see as soon as they get one loss, they're out of contention for the playoff. So, that's yeah, because also the around. argument for Ohio State and Michigan is that they're number two and three and one of them will lose to the other one. I don't see kicking them out of the top five. Yeah. The one thing I was going to mention um, while we're still in college football is the fact that university of Utah actually moved up after a loss. I think that that shows you how strong the PAC 12 is this year, which again is unfortunate that this is their last year, but that's rare to jump five spots after losing, but I think that that also shows how good UW is and really how good Utah is. They they can hang on and only lose by one score to a really good top five team. Yeah, and then speaking of a strong Pac-12, um, you have Oregon State one above Utah at number 12, which they stayed the same even with a win. And then you jump up to Oregon as number six right under UW, which they had such a close game a couple weeks ago in Seattle. Um, you know, they could – I forget, does Pac-12 do north and south? Yeah, they have the north champion and the south, so then that's usually what makes up the so Pac-12 championship. So then the top three in the Pac-12 – Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State, only one of them will get to go, and they would be playing Utah. Correct. Yeah, so I think Utah is a pretty strong candidate for the South, and then obviously with Oregon and Washington at five and 
six, the idea is one of them would play for the North. Which is crazy to think about that, like, realistically, Washington should play against Oregon, the top two in the entire conference, not just North and South. Right, but then that gets back to the whole dividing the conference thing like we see with Ohio State and Michigan because just like last year, one of them won't get in and they'll have to play like a Penn State or a Maryland or something. Yeah, and then you have a sneaky Arizona school at 7-3. and Um, They went into Week 10, ranked 21, and they got bumped to 23 even after a win. But still... Kind of surprising. Um, Arizona hasn't been historically good for too long. Um, and also, we can't fail to mention, while we're talking about rankings, undefeated James Madison, JMU, at number 21. Yeah, honestly, kind of surprised that James Madison would have enough to leapfrog um, Arizona because I know Arizona won. However, they beat Colorado, who is now one and six in Pac-12 play, which just kind of, I think, puts a damper on the whole Dion thing. He came out swinging, yeah. record attendance, all that, and it's like, mm, but the players still aren't quite there. So I think that that's a big factor. Um, but yeah, I actually saw yesterday that game day is headed to James Madison. So that'll be crazy seeing a small school like that uh, get some love. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, our Broncos are not in the top 25, but we did have a statement win last night on uh, Veterans Day. Also, happy Veterans Day to um, everybody out there. We appreciate, we are very supportive, and we thank you all for your service, family who have sent loved ones overseas and just supported their family and their friends and some who did not make it back home and get to see their loved ones, but made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. So um, we take our hats off to you and we thank you all for your service and for defending and representing the greatest country in the world, the United States of America. So jumping in to Boise State, um, man, we've had some winnable games just looking back. Um, and now we're still not out of it. Surprisingly at five and five after week 10, going into these final two weeks of the regular season play against Utah state and air force air force was a force to be reckoned with. And I don't know what happened, but they've lost their last two. Um, or they, yeah, they've lost. Their last two, which opened the door, um, and Boise State is still playing for a spot in the Mountain West Championship. Yeah, that's probably the biggest surprise of the season for me, thinking that we could be 10 games in, 5-5, five and five, and have a chance to play. I think the Mountain West has watered down a little bit this year. Usually we have like either Boise State or San Diego State or Fresno, who's just way out front and strong. This year, I know UNLV has snuck into the conversation. San Diego State has slipped. Um, But focusing on the Broncos right now, absolutely had to crush New Mexico yesterday, and that's exactly what they did. Um, 
I don't think anything scoring less than 40 would have been a loss for the Broncos because at home we've sold out every game this season. Like it just had to happen the way that it did. We had to have a statement victory. We lost um, potentially Maddox Madsen along the way. And I know there was rumors about Taylor Green possibly transferring after yesterday, but now I don't know if Madsen is out. Is Green going to kind of take over the ship again? A lot of what ifs. Um, Genty was out for the second week in a row. It seemed like this week was less of a health concern and probably more of he's going to be transferring following uh, Eric McAllister, who transferred last weekend. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And honestly, I think if we make it to the Mountain West Championship, I'd be shocked if we came out on top just with how we've played this season. Um, But I think it would salvage what has been a pretty tough season overall for Bronco Nation. Um, But the fact that there's still a path with two weeks left, uh, next week being a beatable Utah State team. And then the week after that, if we can catch Air Force while they're down, they were in the top 25. But if they're going to keep the skid going and we could capitalize uh, on the blue and kind of close out the regular season on a high note, I think that would be amazing. And maybe we could finish the season seven and five. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, just crazy to think about. So while you were, uh, Talking about all that, I went into the uh, season recap overview so far that we've had for Boise State, and like you said, we're five and five. Our five losses, four of the losses have been a combined total of nine points, and then if you throw in the fifth loss of the season, um, we've had all five losses are by a combined total of 16 points. So as frustrated as we get that Boise State should be winning these games, it's not like we're getting blown out other than that Boise State game, which anybody who watched it, you know, we went to Seattle now, obviously, to see that they're the number five team in the nation. Um, And we were, what, one score away, maybe a touchdown and a field goal in the first half, and then the wheels fell off in the second half. But um UCF was two points. Colorado State was one point. Memphis was three points. Like, other than the Fresno State game, which we were in until the end uh, last week, that we lost that by a touchdown. But these yeah. are all close, winnable games. And, yeah, to your point of looking at the standings now with Air Force at two losses, um, Air Force and UNLV both lead with five and one record in conference play. And then we are tied with Fresno state at four and two. So it's, it's really anybody's game, especially us going into a 500 team at Utah state and then finishing with air force. Um, of course it'll come down to probably a game winning drive, uh, against air force. And that one is at home. Thank goodness. Um, but, man, I think we can go into Utah State, win that one next week, and then on Black Friday, um, let's get a home win to wrap up the season at 7-5 and five against Air Force and give us a, a shot at the Mountain West Championship. Yeah, I'm excited I'll be in attendance at the Air Force game, and that will be 
baby Aubrey's first Bronco game at just uh, over a month old. Um, fitting while we're talking about Boise State football, breaking news less than 20 minutes ago, head coach Andy Avalos has been fired. Um, Whoa. Not sure if you just saw that come through on your text, but um, I just looked it up on ESPN and Avalos is out after a huge win last night against New Mexico. So honestly, that tells me that we've been kind of looming that decision and talking about the what ifs, but we kept saying if the Broncos win, that'll kind of save Andy's job. That tells me that he's totally lost the locker room because if you can go win by 20 or 30 points and then get fired the next day, um, I'm guessing there's more people that are jumping in the transfer portal today. Um, and they probably saw that the light at the end of the tunnel is small. So Andy Avalos officially out after two seasons as the Broncos head coach. Wow. Yeah. Looking back at his history, um, he, man, that that's crazy. He was the 2022 Mountain West coach of the year um, after the Broncos went 10 and four last year. And then obviously, like we just recapped, this season has looked way different. And I think for everybody to have their hopes up and higher expectations has not been far off. I don't think anybody was wrong for doing that. Um, he he was a assistant and then a defensive coordinator at Boise State from 2012 to 2018. So that was the Harson era, um, and well, and even the end of Coach Pete, um, and then into the Harson era, and then he was the defensive coordinator at Oregon for two years. And you look at like, man, we're getting a guy with a reputation, with some notoriety. And then, yeah, we're 500 right now, um, trying to make this end of the season push. So I haven't even seen who it says that um, we might have fill in as an interim, but that's crazy. Yeah, so coming off of a win, that definitely tells me it's less X's and O's and more culture and locker room. Um, I think he's been criticized because this is the first year that all of his recruits would start to be coming in. And he was kind of riding the coattails of Harson. unfortunately, because I think we were very excited when Avalos got hired, knowing that he's a hometown guy. A lot of people like hiring, you know, Boise state grads or people that have been with the program. Um, so that is unfortunate. I haven't seen anything on interim head coach either, but my first guess would probably be Bush Hamden, offensive coordinator. Um, this is his first year with the team and seems like he's got something figured out, even with the weird running back and quarterback situation that we have. But I could also see if maybe Hamden was too close with Avalos, maybe they would pull in like a position coach or the DC or something. So stay tuned. Maybe we'll do like a Instagram live or, um, hop on and do like a quick reel uh, once we find out some more here in the next day or two. Yeah, crazy. Also, we don't know any um, injury update or status report on Maddox Madsen's injury, but to see him come out as the clear starter yesterday and really have a dominant first half connecting on, I think, three touchdowns for a combined 156 yards was huge to bolt and then um number 17 i can't think of his name but just huge last night making those plays in front of a sold out crowd um 
that that was awesome to see. Yeah, really excited for Madsen. Hopefully he is the guy going forward. Hopefully he's not injured. Um, prayers for that. But being a young guy, hopefully we can finally get like a three or four year starter um, with whatever eligibility he has remaining on the team. Um, I think that would be huge. And I think if we can find some consistency, especially for whoever comes in as the next head coach, I think that that could really kind of bounce back to the DNA of uh, Bronco football. Yeah, for real. Well, Dunk, let's uh, let's get into the final part of episode 175 with a little NFL overview. Um, we got an exciting Sunday slate um, as we're recording. Going to be a great day of some football. I haven't got to really sit down and watch in about a month other than a few here and there. So um, I got red zone all queued up, ready to go. And um, I want to see every touchdown today. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's uh, exciting. The Seahawks have um, an exciting game ahead, uh, really an opportunity to bounce back from their uh, terrible performance last week against the Ravens. Um, and I know we had an early game in Germany today. Uh, I don't know how the outcome is, but Patriots-Colts, so not one that people are super excited about. But, um, yeah, excited for a good full Sunday ahead. Yeah, just uh... – for a little bit of a quick Seahawks preview, um, again, that was a disgusting one that um, the national coverage, they stopped showing the game on CBS last week because it was such a blowout between the Ravens and Seahawks. Um, first time all season that the Seahawks have not scored more than, uh, have, have not scored a touchdown, which was crazy. But we have the Commanders at home, which is uh, looking to be a get-right day today. But after such a great five and two start, um, a huge win against, I mean, against the Cardinals, the Browns, and then to play a really good team in the Ravens, hopefully we're not frauds, um, but you know, we need to win against good teams too. And I could just see these next couple weeks really being telltale of how is this season going to go. Um, we have commanders and Rams, which are two teams with losing records and, you know, Rams, not good. Shouldn't be a problem, but also an NFC West opponent that we don't want to overlook. And then we go into a tough Thursday night game on Thanksgiving, a little, uh, little Turkey game for you. So that's at home against the 49ers and then Cowboys and then 49ers again. So twice in three weeks, that is going to be a huge test with uh, that also follows up with the Eagles down the stretch. Man, I think, I mean, obviously today is a must win if we're going to bounce back and figure out what the real identity of the Seahawks offense is, but the fact that we have Niners, Cowboys, Niners, and then Eagles sprinkled in there. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, that could easily be four losses in a row. But on the flip side, if we could squeeze out one of two against the 49ers and then beat the Cowboys and the Eagles, which not super confident in that, but if somehow we could come out of that stretch three and one and try to stay competitive at the top of the NFC West. I mean, that would be a miracle. I think there's definitely some issues. I think Gino's got to clean some stuff up. 
Um, Kenneth Walker was held to like 17 yards last week. So there's definitely some stuff to straighten up, but if somehow we can come into our own and finish November strong and then just hit it on all cylinders in December, there is a chance that we get in either as the top of the NSC West champ or uh, possibly one of the top uh, wildcard spots. Yeah, exactly. Um, So just looking at it, including today on November 12th, we have nine games left. Uh, Like we said, two of those are against the 49ers, one against the Cowboys, one against the Eagles. Um, And then, you know, we have Rams, Cardinals, Titans. So like there's some winnable games in there. So dunk looking at the back half of the season, which is unfortunate to say nine games left in an 18 week season. How do you think these next nine games are going to go? What's our record? Yeah, I think out of nine, especially with a handful of um, tough ones in there. I mean, ideally we're winning at least six, maybe seven of those. Um, However, if we start to play like we did against the Ravens and that could easily be like a four win, five loss thing. So um, I ideally, I think we squeeze out six or seven of the next ones and really identify ourselves as a top 10 team in the league. But I think there's a lot of opportunity to go the other way too. So we really got to stay strong and hopefully be the Seahawks that we know that we could be. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give us a very optimistic approach and look at like, Hey, first half of the season, pretty good Bye week. We're staying relatively healthy. Um, Two games against the Niners. I say that we get one of those and I'm going to say we get the win against the Cowboys. So we actually have two Thursday night games in a row, which you actually don't ever see. But with the exception of Thanksgiving, um, and then we turn around and play a week later, which is nice um, because then going into uh, the second matchup against the 49ers, we actually have a 10 day break. So it's a little bit of a mini buy, which is great. Um so just to to get the guys rested and re, recharged and everything, um, I'm saying we drop one to the 49ers and one to the Eagles, but I'm going to say we clean up the rest of the slate. Yeah, I love that. I think that that would be awesome, um, seven and two in the next nine weeks. And I think that mini buy will be helpful both just for mental rest and physical injuries and stuff because we did have a pretty early season buy, which I know can be nice, but it can also hurt in the long run. So excited for that stretch and uh, curious as we head towards the end of our NFL discussion, um, at least for the Hawks, what do you think uh, score prediction today? Man, I think we're coming back home after just a devastating three point uh, week nine uh, or uh no, I was just thinking of college um, week. Oh, wait, it was week nine. Um, yeah, so week 10. Yeah, I was just confused looking back and forth. Um, but after that, three points. We're back home. We're against the commanders. I'm going to give us 38 to 17 today. Oh, man, I like the uh, high side on the the Seahawks. I was thinking a little bit closer. I think the commanders have been able to hang on with some people. Um, 
and I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go eighteen to twenty-seven today. All right. Yeah. I. I mean, I might have been a little bit high. I. Uh, I looked at it before I pulled up the line, um, but Seahawks are minus six. The over unders at forty-four and a half, and uh, we're obviously the favorites at minus two seventy. So we'll nice. see. Um, maybe I'm gonna hold strong just because I like it. Um, but you might be a little more in the ballpark. So we'll see how this uh, cold forty-six degree Sunday in Seattle goes today. Yeah, excited for it, and hopefully it's a, a big bounce back, bounce back week for him. Yeah, well done. This has been a great episode 175. A um, little bit of uh, off-season baseball updates, but most of the time outside the diamond today, and uh, it's been a good one. We, we have shaping up to be an exciting end of the college football season and back half of the NFL. Yeah, excited for uh, a strong November and into December. I think it'll be fun, and there's a lot more to happen. Yeah, well, Dunk, thanks for this one. Go uh, find a seat on the couch and fire up some football. And as always, let's climb the ladder. Let's climb the ladder. All right, good one. Thanks.